we're going to study together the passage where the, what we refer to as the Ten Commandments are delivered to the children of Israel. What's interesting is that uh, they did not refer to this as the Ten Commandments, but rather the Ten Words. The, the ten words, ten words from the Lord, the devarim as it is in the Hebrew language. In other words, instructions from God to his people, this, this, uh, this foundational, I'm going to use a, a word somewhat intentionally here, this uh, constitutional type of covenant that, that they have in these commands in the law. And the reason I use that word constitutional intentionally is I want you to think for a moment about what a constitution is. So we as a, a nation, we have a constitution and then we have legislation. The constitution itself is our founding document. It is the, the founding, the, the founding articles that, that indicate who we are to be as, as a people, as a nation. And so our nation is built on the Constitution and all of our laws and our legal system and, and our, uh, all of our, our judicial system, our, uh, all, all of the, the, the different branches of our government and, and those things, executive and so on, all of that rests on that foundation of the Constitution, those founding documents. It's been, it's been said that the Ten Commandments work in a similar way. That God established His covenant with His people, Israel, a covenant with their forefathers. We've read through that. We've worked through that as we've been working our way through the Bible. And now we come to this moment where God gives His people these commands— as a law, as a, a foundation. A, this, th these Ten Commandments stand over and against all of the other commandments. You may know enough or have heard enough about the history of Israel's uh, commands, the, the commandments, the law that they followed to know that there were over 600 laws that that were given to them, 600 laws that they identified as distinct laws from the Lord. And yet all of those laws, again, to use the analogy of sorts, that would be like our laws, our legislation that's, that is built upon that foundation of our constitution. All of the laws in the Old Testament system were built upon the foundation of the Ten Commandments that sort of constitute this unique relationship, this covenant relationship that existed between God and his people. Now, I think that's a helpful analogy for us to understand. It's not a perfect one-to-one, -one, okay? So if, you are, if you're wanting to poke holes in that, you can. I could. There's, there's ways that we can look at that and we can say, okay, that works, but it's not like, or, uh, but that's not the point. The point isn't, the point is just, I think that helps us begin to sort of wrap our minds around how important, how foundational, how instructive these Ten Commandments were for their, for their relationship with God. The truth is, it serves, a, it serves a similar purpose for us today. Oftentimes, I think one of the mistakes that we make in the way that we relate to the relationship between Old Covenant and New Covenant, Old Testament and New Testament, is sometimes we think, well, the, the Old Covenant doesn't apply to us anymore. We're not bound by that. And in a sense, 
okay, we aren't bound by the entirety of the Old Testament law, the, the Old Testament legal system. We don't keep the 600 plus laws and, the, and the, even beyond that, thousands of interpretations of those laws that the, the Old Testament Hebrews kept. And yet, the Old Testament does speak to us authoritatively for how we're to live. The, the Ten Commandments do speak to our lives authoritatively for how we should understand our relationship with God. And I'll, I'll go so far as, as to sort of make this bold claim that I think far too often we want to jettison the Ten Commandments rather than understanding as Jesus instructed us in the Gospels. Jesus says, I didn't come to do away with the law, but to fulfill it. We need to see the law in, in light of its big picture purpose. No, we are not saved through keeping the law. No, salvation will not come to you through keeping the Ten Commandments. And yet, that doesn't mean that we jettison them somehow, we write them off, we ignore them. No, rather, instead, we need to see them as a part of the fuller picture that the, the Scriptures give to us, that this is serving a purpose that is creating a covenant uh, relationship between God and people that is helping us to know not just what we should do to serve God, but rather who God is and how we are to relate to him. So on the back of your worship guide, there's a place where you can follow along and take notes as we work our way through this text this morning. And you see even this, this statement, the Ten Commandments teach us about the God we serve, not simply how we serve God. This isn't just about the things that we have to do for God, the, the ways that we can check the boxes and say, uh, no other gods, check, uh, keep the Sabbath, check, don't, don't lie, check, don't covenant, check, right? This is not about just checking off a, a series of boxes, but rather it's instructing us about the nature of this foundational relationship that we have, that we relate to God as as Lord, as truly, as the highest, the supreme authority in our lives. And we bring everything under the, the governance of his authority as we seek to relate to him. And so uh, one person I, I read this week talked about the Ten Commandments this way, that the Ten Commandments help to define the relationship that exists between God and his people. And I thought that's a helpful way to think of it. It defines the relationship that the people were to have. Even in the Old Testament, it is never promised that salvation would come through the Ten Commandments. That's not the way that it works. Salvation has always been through faith, trusting God, believing him by grace through faith. The book of Romans points that out, as do other parts of the Bible. But we studied that together last year in our study through the book of Romans. But what I do think is helpful for, for us to understand is that these, these commandments, they help define the relationship that we are to have with God. And so I want to say all of that up front before we read this together. There's one other point that I want to make before we read from Exodus chapter 20. So much of the time 
in our minds, if you are thinking through this moment, okay, if you've been reading along and you've been following the events that are taking place, when we come to this moment, what we picture in our minds, I'll go back to even what I talked about last week, is sort of the Charlton Heston, the Ten Commandments movie scene that, that Moses goes up on the mountain and he comes, or Charlton Heston as we picture him in our minds, right, goes up on the mountain and he comes down holding the tablets and that's what takes place here. And yet actually the tablets come later in the story. What's happening here is you have the nation of Israel who have gathered together at the foot of Mount Sinai and they've been instructed not to go up on the mountain lest if they were to go up on the mountain they would surely die. So they've gathered together. A a border has been established. Boundary has been established. You're not to cross this point and yet the people are gathered at the base of the mountain and what they see on the mountain is thick smoke and what they hear is the sound of great thunder and a ram's horn as God is calling Moses up. And then out of the smoke and out of the thunder, they hear God speak these words. Before it was ever written down on tablets of stone, they heard these words spoken. And then their response even was to say Moses to Moses, Moses, we don't want to listen to God anymore because if we listen to God, we'll die. You speak to us for God. And and so that's the moment, that's the scene that I want us to envision here as we read from Exodus chapter 20. And so we'll just jump in. Verse 1, and God spoke all these words saying, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. Before he even gives them the law, this reminder is given. I am the Lord your God. I am the one who has delivered you. I am the one who is redeeming you, which helps frame, again, our understanding that these instructions, these commandments are given in light of God's redeeming work for us. And he goes on to say, you shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourselves a carved image or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or that is in the earth beneath or that is in the water under the earth. You shall not bow down to them or serve them for I, the Lord, your God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children to the third and the fourth generation of those who hate me, but showing steadfast love to thousands of those who love me and keep my commandments. You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain, for the Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, you nor your son or your daughter, your male servant or your female servant or your livestock or your sojourner who is within your gates. For in six days, the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea and all that is in them and rested on the seventh day. Therefore, the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. Honor your father and your mother that your days may be long in the land and that the Lord your God is giving to you. You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. You shall not covet your neighbor's house. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife or his male servant or his female servant or his ox or his donkey or anything that is your neighbor's. 
And now when all the people saw the thunder and the flashes of lightning and the sound of the trumpet and the mountain smoking, the people were afraid and trembled and they stood far off and said to Moses, you speak to us and we will listen, but do not let God speak to us lest we die. Moses said to the people, do not fear for God has come to test you that the fear of him may be before you and that you may not sin. And the people stood far off while Moses drew near to the thick darkness where God was. What a, what a powerful, what a moving moment. So moving, in fact, that in light of this, this incredible, glorious, overwhelming experience, what was the response of the people? Moses, this is too much. You're going to have, you talk to us. Don't let God do this or, or we're going to die. There was an awareness of God's holiness and his glory and his awesome power in that moment that shook them. And yet that was precisely the correct response, would it not be? In light of the, the, the awesome power and the glory of God to understand how huge he is, how incredible he is, and how small and frail and vulnerable we are. And yet the same God wants to have a relationship with us. That's what Moses says. Don't worry. Don't be afraid. God has come near to you. He has come down. He has drawn near that you may know what it takes to honor him so that you may not sin against him. And that's the way I want us to see these commandments, that God has given us the commandments that we may understand what it means to be in a redemptive relationship with him, whereby we've responded to him by faith and we understand what God desires of us so that we would not sin against him. Again, it's not just about what we do to serve the Lord, but really it's instructing us about the God we serve. And so I want us to see three things particularly in this passage, sort of looking at it holistically without breaking down each of the individual commandments. We're not going to do that this morning. We're going to look holistically at what the commandments themselves teach us. And the first one simply is this. It teaches us about God's nature, God's nature. There are some things in this story as it's related to us that are, that are really important for us to understand about the nature of God. First of all, we see from this that God's nature is that he is holy, that he is glorious, that he is powerful. He is all of these things. Even the nature of what's happening or the, or the, the situation itself points us to understand this. As the people have gathered together at the foot of the mountain, but they're not to step on the mountain. They're not to go up on the mountain lest they would die. Because the mountain itself was so in, in, engulfed, so overwhelmed by the glory of God and his nature that to touch it would have killed these people. It would have been too much for them. How incredible is that? How, how awesome is the glory of God that we cannot, we cannot be in his presence. We cannot stand against his holiness. Some, so much of the time, our view of God is so small. In fact, years ago, uh, when, I was, when I was in my late teens, 
uh, I, I was, I knew the Lord had called me to ministry and I was at a Christian bookstore. And so, you know, from time to time when I'd be at a Christian bookstore, I would look for, I'd look for books that might interest me, but I was always kind of, cause I was young and I was broke. I was always particularly uh, taken by the bargain book rack, right? And so I picked up as a $1.99 copy, this little book written by a guy named J.B. Phillips. I knew nothing about J.B. Phillips, but the title of the book caught my attention and it said, your God is too small. And so I picked up the book and I read that book. And in the book, Phillips makes this incredible observation that we treat God so casually. We treat God so complacently that it really reveals our awareness of who God is in his holiness. And the truth is that for many of us, our understanding of God is so inadequate because we think of the, the awesome, powerful, creative, awe-inspiring God as just like, you know, just the big man upstairs, that sort of thing. Just another guy. And we don't fully understand the nature of how incredible God is. And yet what we see in these commandments is a God who is so powerful so, so awe-inspiring, so amazing that the mere sound of his voice speaking to the people made them afraid for their lives. They thought, if we hear this again, we will die. Maybe you've heard some loud sounds in your day. Maybe you've been to a, a ball game, uh, you know, a stadium full of people screaming, shouting at the top of their lungs. Maybe you've been to a, a concert where, there, you know, there's really loud music that's pumped through the speakers, that sort of thing. If you've ever been exposed to any kind of really loud noise for a prolonged period of time, you know that something happens when you step away from that moment that your, your head pounds, that literally it, 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 it's like you, you have... You have temporary uh, definite, deafness, like it can, it can impact, it can so overwhelm your eardrums in such a way that for a, a, a period of time, you can have a, a temporary deafness. Or uh, what's worse is prolonged exposure can even, can cause, you know, prolonged deafness or loss of hearing in your ears from the exposure. It, that's an incredible, and so imagine this, imagine don't just think of, don't just think of uh, a stadium of, of, of 80,000 people. Don't just think of a loud arena or a loud rock concert. Imagine a mountain. A, imagine the, the, the size, the scale of a mountain uh, a couple thousand, several thousand feet tall, and you're standing at the base of it, and it's, it shakes with the awesome power of God. What we see in all of this is that God is so powerful, so glorious, so incredible that when we get just a glimpse of that, the response is, this is too much for me. This is overwhelming to me. And yet that same God desires to have a relationship with people. Again, remember the first words that God spoke from the mountain before he even gave them the law. What was it he said in verse two? I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. God spoke and he reminded the people, I am the one who has delivered you. In other words, I am the one who wants a relationship with you. I am the one who wants you to trust me by faith. I am the one who desire to make you my people. 
we read the Ten Commandments, what we see is a law given to us by God in order that we might have a relationship with Him. And that reveals something about the very nature, the very character of God to us. You see, the laws always tell us something about the lawgiver. Let me just use uh, a rather, oh, I don't know, maybe, maybe in, in the greater scheme of things, maybe this is sort of a, a, an overly simple understanding. But for example, we have, we have laws on the books, and I'll just take like our, our ADA, our handicap laws that we have that, that govern the ways that we, that we do everything from parking spaces to uh, handrails and ramps and all of these things, because those laws exist to build accommodations for people. But when we think about that, what does that say? That says that as a society, as a people, we want to value even those who have be it uh, physical or, or other types of limitations. We want to value those. We want to make space for, we want to make accommodation for those who may have certain unique challenges. The laws teach us something about the values that we hold as a society, right? Well, when we study the, the Ten Commandments, the law given by God, it's teaching us something about the lawgiver. And what we see here is that God's desire, the lawgiver, his desire is to have a relationship with us. God's nature is one of holiness, of power, of glory. And yet that same glorious God wants a relationship with you and with me. The second thing that we see when we study these commandments, we, we learn or we see more about God's character. Not just his nature. His nature is glorious. He's powerful. He's awesome. But we see about God's character. God's character is just. If I were to use a word to describe what we see and, and what the, the, the laws give us a sense of God's justness. And that word just, we might think of the word right, what is true. That in these laws, we see that we serve a God who is true a God who is right, a God who does what is right. And the law even defines for us, the law of God, the Ten Commandments, defines for us an understanding of God's justice so that we should put God first, so that we shouldn't make for ourselves any other image or any other idol that we would bow down to, but we would worship God alone as holy. And the reason why we don't need an idol to worship is because he goes so far beyond what we might conceptualize with our idols. No idol truly gets at the awesome nature of God. And so we don't need an idol to worship. We need to worship the lawgiver, God himself, that we're to not take his name in vain because we're to consider him holy. And similarly, we're to remember the Sabbath, which points to his order, his design, his rhythm, his purpose for our lives. These first four laws tell us about how we relate to God, the, the remaining six about how we're to relate to one another. But even in these six, we have an understanding of the justice of God, the character of God, even in the way that we're to relate to one another so that we would honor our parents, honor father and mother, that we would 
consider life valuable by not murdering others, that we wouldn't commit adultery. We would remain faithful to the covenant, the promise that we've made through marriage, that we wouldn't steal from others, nor lie and bear false witness, nor covet what someone else has. And even in these, we see a sense of justice about how we're to relate to one another. That is an extension. It flows from the relationship we have first with God. His character is revealed to us in the law. So that when we look at the law, we see the lawgiver and we understand that he is, that he is just, that he is true, that he is righteous. And that in response to those things, in response to his law, we are called to be just, true, righteous, to do what is right. Which is why the prophet Micah, for example, writes later, in, in Micah chapter 6, verse 8, you may know well that, that Micah writes that you know what is good, O man. You know what the Lord requires of you, but to do justice and love mercy and walk humbly with your God. Our response to the character of God is to live like he has called us to live, to obey, to walk in step with him because of his just, his true nature. And then the third thing that we see as we study through this law, not only God's nature, not only God's character, but also God's commitment. We see how incredible his commitment is to us. That in establishing the law, in establishing the Ten Commandments, the whole point of the Ten Commandments is God's desire to be in a relationship. It's an expression of his commitment to us. I am giving you this law. I am giving you these instructions, these words, these commandments, in order that you may know what it takes to walk in a right relationship with me. Right? That's what Moses says to the people in the verses that follow. Do not fear, verse 20, do not fear, for God has come to test you that the fear of him may be before you that you may not sin. In other words, don't be afraid, but understand who God is. Understand his nature. Don't be afraid, but understand God's character and all these things that he is calling you to in order that you might walk in a right relationship. The law establishes Israel as God's holy people. And by extension of the work of Christ that, that fulfills the law and makes available to us by faith, the saving grace of Jesus, we too are called to be a people who are committed to him, who walk in a right relationship with him. Now we have a fuller understanding of these things even than did the, the children of Israel. Because if, if you want to think of it this way, they were on that side of the cross, I'll say, and we stand on the other side of the cross. We have a greater understanding of these things because we see them through the lens of Christ and his redemptive work. But the point is that Jesus never came to throw this out. He came rather to fulfill it and to show us that the very law which establishes this foundational relationship that points us to the nature, the character, the commitment of God, that that is now fulfilled perfectly in the work of Jesus so that through him we may have a relationship with God by faith. It speaks to God's commitment, that he is fully committed to his people. He's fully committed to us, that he's given everything for us, everything to us, that we may know him by faith. And the only right response to that, the only appropriate response to that, 
is one of, of surrender, is one of obedience, is it not? The only appropriate response to an almighty God who has reached out and revealed himself to us is to, is to come near to him in faith. And praise God, that's exactly what we can do. That's what we celebrated together this morning in the Lord's Supper, that we can draw near to the Lord by faith because Jesus has given himself for us. Jesus has fulfilled this law. We couldn't keep the law on our own. If your salvation were dependent upon your ability to keep the law, then you would be, you'd be in terrible trouble. But praise God, you don't have to keep the law perfectly because Jesus was the one who took the punishment that you deserve. Now, that doesn't mean that we, that doesn't mean that we treat this uh, casually. It doesn't mean that we, that, that we, if we understand the nature, the character, the commitment of God toward us, it ought to stir within us a desire to live in a right relationship to Him. But we don't do it in order to earn God's love or His favor. Rather, we do it because we understand that He's already given us everything when He gave us Jesus. The law points us to a God whose desire is to have a relationship with us. I wonder, do you have a relationship with him through faith? Has there ever been that moment in your life when you've trusted Jesus by faith, when you've surrendered your life to him? Has there ever been that moment when you have, to use the words I've, I've been using this morning, drawn near to God in faith, believing in his sacrifice and his promise that paid the price for your sin? Friend, if that's never happened, then in a moment, we're going to move into a time of response, a time of invitation. And in our time of invitation today, I think the appropriate response in understanding who God is, his nature, his character, his commitment is a response of worship. God, we thank you. God, we praise you. God, we worship you. God, we put you in the center of our hearts and our lives in light of what you've done for us. And maybe for someone in the room this morning, that means by surrendering your life to Jesus and receiving him by faith. And if that's you, then I want you to know that even as we sing this song of invitation in a few moments together, I'll be here at the front and I would love to pray with you. I would love to walk you through that prayer of commitment that you would surrender your life to Christ, receive him by faith today. And for all of us who are in the room, may we respond in this moment. May we respond in such a way that it demonstrates our understanding of the nature, the character, the commitment of this God who gave everything for us in order that we might know what it means to walk by faith, to have a right relationship with him. His redemption story points us to the fact that he gave everything so that we might be redeemed. I would invite you, as we prepare for this moment of invitation, to bow your head with me. Close your eyes. Just, again, not because there's anything magical about closing your eyes, but because in this moment we want to eliminate all other distractions. We don't want this moment to be about what anyone else has done or what anyone else is doing, but I want you to be able to focus your own heart and your own mind upon the work of Christ for you. Let me ask you to consider, have you trusted him by faith? If not, then friend, may this be your moment that you respond to him. Lord, we are grateful that you gave everything. That your desire is to be in a relationship with us. 
that we receive you by faith, by drawing near. We experience your glorious nature. We experience your just character, and we know the certainty of your commitment to us. And now, Lord, as we draw near to you, we ask that you would be exalted and honored and glorified in us. You are worthy of everything. You are worthy of all that we can offer, all that we have to give and more. And so we worship you with our lives in this moment. And all this we pray in your name. Amen. As we stand to sing this song of invitation and this moment of response together, if God is speaking